0: This episode is about 25 minutes in length, but I only want you to listen to 17 minutes and 42 seconds of it. Find out why after this quick break. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So, listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Why would I ask you to listen to such a specific amount of time? It's an odd request, isn't it? Surely you'd be more likely to tune into the episode if I told you to listen to all of it. By asking you to just listen to 17 minutes and 42 seconds, I'm almost suggesting that the end isn't worth listening to. But here's the thing being precise in your request can change how people behave. To explain more, I've invited Richard Schotten back on the show. He's the best selling author of two wonderful books, The Choice Factory and The Illusion of Choice. To kick off, Richard explains the weird effect that precise numbers have on us.
1: There are some wonderful studies about the power of precision. So, first, study comes from uh, 1994 and a psychologist called Santos and slightly strange setup for his experiment he and his graduate students dress up as beggars and then they go and try and get as much money as possible from passers-by and the experiment is that sometimes they ask people for some change or a quarter and other times they ask for either 17 cents or 32 cents and what Santos finds is that people are far more likely, thinks the order of about 60%, far more likely to give money when they are asked uh, for a surprising amount. So Santos calls this the peak effect. So not the peak as in peak end rule, but the peak as in PIQUE. The idea that if you make a surprising request using a very specific number, it's more likely to be noticed and therefore acted upon he argues that to make life simple for ourselves as members of the public we have all these scripts in our head so action a happens and then script a goes into um into action so beggar asks me for money rather than me weighing up the individual merits of that person and their need and whether i should give them cash all i do is have a script in my head which says okay i don't give money beggars. Rather than weigh up the unique situation, I just make an automatic reflex reaction. But what Santos says is that if the beggar asks for that money in a different way from normal, in a surprising way, the script doesn't fire and therefore we at least have to consider their request. And it's just the act of consideration that boosts the probability of of, of giving. At least there's a chance that beggar to to win you over.
0: In the study, the beggars who asked for a quarter received 60% fewer donations than those that asked for 17 cents or 35 cents. This suggests that using a precise number encourages people to take action. It's why I asked you to listen to a precise number of minutes in this episode, and it's why Richard's latest book contains a weirdly specific number of chapters, 16 and a half. But specific numbers don't only capture our attention – they are also seen as more credible.
1: So there's this first study around um, surprising numbers, capturing our attention, and increasing probability of action. But there's a second study, which is really interesting as well, from Schindler at Rutgers University. So a study back from 2006, really, really simple study. Recruits group of people shows them an ad for a deodorant, and sometimes the ad makes the claim that it reduces perspiration by 50%. Suspiciously round number. Other times it makes the claim that it reduces perspiration by either 47 or 53%. When Schindler asks those uh, readers whether they believe the ad, whether they think the ad is uh, accurate, he sees a clear pattern. Believability ratings are 5% higher when people see a precise number, and actually ratings are 10% higher when people see that uh, specific number. Schindler's argument is over time people have learned that those who know what they're talking about tend to speak specifically those who are unsure of themselves tend to speak generally a, a real world example think about your personal life think about what would happen if someone came up to you and said how old's your sister you would say okay she's 27 or she's 43 if someone said how old's that uh, you know, old man that lives three doors down the road, you'd say, oh, well, he's in his 60s, he's in his 70s. If we know something, if we've got a lot of knowledge about a, a subject, we tend to answer with specific details. If we are vague and uncertain, we'll talk in generalities. People learn that over time. And then you know, arguably they make the logical mistake of thinking, well, if someone has spoken specifically, they must know what they're they're talking about. So it's an interesting finding because it boosts noticeability. Talking precisely and specifically, and it boosts believability and accuracy. Yet, if you think about how many marketers uh, communicate, they default to generalities. Now, we have three million uh, customers. Uh, our um, washing machine will improve your um, the colours of your clothes by fifty percent. Now, these type of claims are often very general. But what Santos and Schindler would argue is, you can boost the impact of your messaging if you are honest about the specific uh, details of your of your performance.
0: You might be thinking that this is all a bit too hypothetical. Sure, it works with a few studies at universities, but does the peak effect really work in the real world? Well, there's evidence that suggests it does two University of Florida psychologists analysed 25,564 house sales from Alcucha County, Florida. No prizes for guessing why they analysed such a specific number. Anyway, they discovered that the sellers who set a precise asking price, so say $799,499, well they sold their home for closer to the asking price than those who opted for a rounded figure, like say 800,000. There's some more research from last year that backs this up. Researchers Monnier and Thomas analysed 1,388 multi-sale products on Amazon. These were multi-products, like bags of cookies or crates of soda, where the product contained an overall weight and then a number of individual items. For example, a crate of Coca-Cola might contain 6 litres of Coke in total, or in other words, 16 bottles of Coke. They found that people were willing to pay 49% more for the product when the precise number of bottles were shown rather than the overall weight giving the precise number, be it 16 bottles of Coke or 36 Oreo cookies, sold far more than, saying, 6 litres of Coke or 500 grams of Oreo cookies. Precision makes your price more credible and more believable, and thus makes people more likely to take action. But still, these are all research papers. I wanted some evidence of how this could be applied in the real world, so I asked Richard for some examples.
1: So... The, the the principle of precision, I think, has been applied really nicely by a few people. Dyson, when they started out, they always talked about 5,000 plus prototypes that Dyson had to go through to get to the bagless vacuum. If you look at ads over time, eventually they hit on the fact that they should talk about it precisely. They always now say 5,127 prototypes. That's a lovely example of precision. Heinz um, products, they talk about 57 varieties. Do you think that would be as memorable if it was talked about 60 varieties it's the precision that gives it its power you can bring this all the way through to, to pricing there is a lovely i think it's an nbr maybe podcast uh, npr anyway keith chen who was the head behavioral scientist at uber talked about some of the experiments that they run It's a lovely body of data because these are really powerful studies run amongst thousands upon thousands of people. They don't know they're taking part in an experiment, so they can't change their behavior because of that. And one of the experiments Uber ran was around search pricing. So people would be randomized into groups. Some people looking for a lift would be told that the search price was 2x, others that it was 2.1x. And what Uber found was that people were more likely to accept this surge price if it was a precise number rather than a suspiciously round number. What Chen argues, and there's some lovely work by Yanishevsky and you that backs this up in a lab, is that people assume round prices have been plucked out of their hair to the benefit of the brand. Whereas if they see a precise price, they think Brand has um, put a lot of time and effort and thought into working out the price, and it's been marked up far less. So, a really simple application for brands is if you are running a round price, you are in this wonderful position of being able to increase your price, and you should be able to increase your margin and perceive value. So, if you are charging five pounds for your bottle of lager, charge five pounds and five pence. If you are a consultant and you are pitching your work don't ask for a thousand pounds ask for a thousand and seventy five you know it's a lovely very very simple tactic it's completely costless and it's something that can be applied uh, so easily in your life now, even if you're running training or you are uh you know if you have a break say to people you know can you come back in 11 minutes don't say in 10 minutes you know if you hear 10 minutes do they mean 10 do they mean 20 it's too vague you know give people a precise number and they're far more likely to, to come back on time
0: That Uber example Richard gave was shared by Keith Chen, the former head of economic research at Uber. On the podcast Hidden Brain, Keith shared that more people took rides with Uber when the price surge was set at 2.1 times than 2 times. Now this, of course, is irrational. A 2 times price surge is cheaper than a 2.1 times price surge. But... The precise number bias kicks in and we take action when the number is precise. Interestingly, the effect holds on the other side of the 2x pricing as well. When the surge price goes from 1.9x to 2x, the drop in demand is six times larger than the equivalent drop from 1.8x to 1.9x. In this case, the change in price is essentially identical. But moving from a precise number to a round number dramatically changes action. Now, I think there's an ethical way and an unethical way to do this. I don't think Uber should charge extra at a specific price, so raising their price to get to a specific price point. I think that's unfair on customers. Instead, they should leverage this bias to just make their taxis cheaper. So rather than setting a surge price of 2x, they could set it for 1.85x, for example. And that would be cheaper for the customers, but boost demand for Uber covering the drop in revenue, all in all, giving Uber more customers and giving the customers a better deal. All right, it's time for a quick break. This episode of Nudge will resume in exactly 61.5 seconds. See you then. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Welcome back to the show. So far, we have covered how specific numbers help in negotiations, how they boost the credibility of marketing, increase donations, and even encouraged you to potentially keep listening to this show after that ad break. But precise numbers are just one of many ways to apply behavioural science to pricing. I know Richard has spent a lot of time working on pricing tests for his clients, so I asked him for the best advice he had on applying behavioural science to pricing. So
1: I love it when clients come with pricing advice because there are so many studies that can be applied very profitably uh, at very low cost. So there are ideas like if you want to put up your prices, uh, let's say you've got a subscription product, don't put that increase through with very short notice. Give people plenty of notice. So there's an idea called the present preference bias, which essentially argues we are we feel pain and pleasure more in the now than in the in the future. If I know I'm going to have to pay an extra 5 pounds tomorrow that's painful. If I know I'm going to have to pay an extra 5 pounds in a month's time it's far far less painful. There's a wonderful study from Liam Delaney who I think at the time was at University of Stirling where he offers people the choice of either paying 13 pounds now or 16 pounds in a month's time. And 60% of people pick the 16 pounds in a month's time. Now that equates to, I think, a twenty-three uh, percent monthly interest rate. I think it's saying like a thousand and fifty percent as an annualised uh, APR. You know, people really don't like costs in the in the immediate future. So if you're going to put up your subscription rate to your product, you know, go out earlier, and it's less likely to have a, a negative effect.
0: This effect won't only encourage customers to commit to a price raise, there's evidence to suggest it'll encourage them to commit to, well, all sorts of things. Researcher Promin in 2008 ran a study where high-performing university students were asked to give up their time and tutor younger students for free. So not a particularly easy ask. One group of students was asked to commit to tutoring during the term and a second group, was asked to commit to tutor them during the following term, so after their Christmas or their Easter break. Those asked how much time they would be willing to commit in the present term said they could only commit 27 minutes on average. However, those asked to commit during the following term responded saying that they could commit to far more. They said, I can commit to 85 minutes on average. That is a 300% improvement just by delaying when the commitment starts. If you're encouraging customers to change plans or family members to book a holiday or friends to run a marathon with you, pick a date that's a few months away. You're convinced far more than if you ask immediately. Richard has a bit more pricing advice for me too.
1: Um, other tactics, you know, it's, it's a much more well-known study perhaps, but um, there's some work from Amos Tversky back in 1993 about extreme aversion. Essentially, he shows if you offer people a choice of two cameras basic camera fancy camera let's say the basic's 139 dollars fancy's 199 dollars you get a 50-50 split in choices between the two get a new group of people give them the same two cameras and you add on a super premium camera for say 399 dollars you now see a very different pattern hardly anyone picks the super premium camera i think it's 21% in that particular scenario but what's of interest to us is the ratio between the original two cameras radically changes. It's no longer one-to-one. It's now almost three-to-one in the favor of the premium camera. So if you are ever trying to sell a product and you are offering a basic package and a premium package, the simplest thing you can do to increase the appeal of that premium package is introduce a super premium package. So let's say you are trying to sell gym memberships either for a month or a year. What you should do straight away is introduce a package of, say, a three-year membership. No one might ever buy that, but its very presence makes the year offering look more palatable, look more reasonable, and you increase the proportion of people who buy it.
0: Offering a decoy super premium option can encourage people to buy a slightly more expensive choice. Some of these examples are sort of hard to share on a podcast as you have to visualise all these numbers in your head, but there's one study that showcases this very simply. In 2012, Donald Leitstein from Colorado University and his team ran an eight-week experiment in a bar in the United States. When drinkers arrived at the bar, they were given a menu of 13 bottled beers. Sometimes, the staff handed out the menu with a $4 beer at the top and then progressively more expensive beers below. And then on other occasions, the same drinks were listed, but in descending price order, with the most expensive $10 beer at the top. The psychologists found that when the menu had a low-priced item at the top, the average price paid was $5.78, but when the menu was flipped, the average price rose by $0.24 to $6.02. That is a statistically significant 4% increase. The psychologists ran further studies in other categories to test the validity of the results. They gave 219 participants a list of pens that they could buy, with prices ranging from 15 cents to 90 cents, so a much cheaper price point than the beers. The average price purchased was 63 cents when the prices were shown in descending order, compared to 53 cents when shown in ascending order. So here the increase was even more, it was a 90% increase. So including these super premium options to anchor your customers will cause them to spend more. Putting that option first on the menu only increases the effectiveness. But there is a caveat that I should leave you with. Just because these effects work in some circumstances, say beer menus, camera sales for example, it does not guarantee that it'll work for you.
1: You know, you often talk about this in your podcast that there are successes and failures with behavioural science And not every pricing insight is equally robust. So sometimes you'll find a body of research like extremist aversion where there are all sorts of studies. So there's studies on electronic items, popcorn, beer, Dilip, done one on coffee. You know, all of these studies point to the same idea that we gravitate towards the middle option. There are other studies, and I think it's called magnitude congruence. I think it's by the Coulter Brothers, where they argue that People conflate the size, the physical size of the fonts that the price is written in with its actual cost. So what you want to do according to this study is make your original price massive, you know, font 50, your new price smaller, font 30. And it will make the change and discount price feel, feel much larger. That, as far as I know, is a one-off study. So you want to have this kind of continuum in your mind behind, you know findings that have been replicated and therefore are much, much more likely to work. And then findings that are one-offs, which I would say are more still in the world of hypotheses. They're interesting insights, but don't you're not guaranteed success. So you really want to think, well, what's the um, scale of cost to me for implementing these ideas? If it's going to be costly, just use the more robust findings. If it's a costless change to your website, well, it's worth at least testing some of these less proven ideas. And I think it's that's where it, you, you move from a science to an art.
0: Now, at the start of this episode, I asked you to only listen to 17 minutes and 42 seconds of this show. And yet, you are still here. It may have been a risk to only ask you to listen to that length. And I might have feared that you'd have turned off once you reached that stage. But honestly, I actually knew you would stay tuned in. Why? Well, because of that study Richard shared right at the start, the 1994 study with Santos and his pretend beggars. See, even though the research assistants posing as beggars asked for precise amounts of 35 cents or 17 cents, they never actually received the exact amount. Instead, donors gave enough to cover the amount and then a bit more. So 50 cents or a dollar, for example. And it looks like you did the same. I only asked you to listen to 17 minutes, and yet you've listened to more. So next time you're struggling to persuade someone, perhaps you're asking for a pay rise or some time off work, try asking for a specific amount. I'm 97.9% certain it'll work. Okay, that is all for today, folks. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll be excited to learn that in a few months, I'll be sharing a bonus exclusive subscriber-only episode with Richard Shotton. This will only be available to the 2,589 people who are subscribed to the Nudge newsletter. To join them, head to nudgepodcast.com and click newsletter in the menu. It only takes 14 and a half seconds to sign up. And again, massive thank you for Richard Shotton for coming on the show. Both his books are brilliant. They are must-reads, as I've mentioned before. But if you're looking for a little more help from Richard, do check out his agency, Astro10. He's helped companies like BrewDog, Meta, and KFC apply behavioural science to their marketing. He also runs workshops with marketers to teach behavioural science principles. I've actually been on one of his courses. I didn't get free access. In fact, I paid exactly $449 plus VAT, and it was worth every penny. I've dropped a link to Richard's site astro10.co.uk, in the show notes, so go there if you want to take a look. Thanks again for listening everyone, I'm your host Phil Agnew, you can find me on LinkedIn and if you do like the show please do subscribe on Apple or Spotify and leave me a review, preferably a review of 4.9 stars out of 5. Okay, thank you so much for listening, cheers.